Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin, and as uh, promised, we have a, uh, a room full of people here today. This is our three amigos meeting uh, once again, Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman, Circuit Judge Michael McCuskey, and uh, the News Gazette's Opinions Editor Jim Dye. We've had this uh, show uh, several times. We've had a lot of fun and a lot of uh, good information, and uh, like to answer your questions. Here's how you get on, 356-9397. And the uh, Castle Heating and the Cooling text line is 3515357. So if you have a question or a comment that uh, you would like to uh, ask uh, uh, any of our uh, panel members, uh, jump right in. And uh, no question is... Uh, some people say, oh, I don't want to ask that. That's a silly question. And, well, maybe, but we've had answered a lot of silly questions before and given a lot of silly answers. Uh, so, gentlemen, uh, welcome. How are you, uh, Brother McCuskey? Having a nice drive down this morning from uh, the north, uh, what's the name of that place? Marshall County, Lakin, Illinois, 112 miles from this location. And how was the drive? No snow? It's no. a beautiful day driving. Uh, you know, the, no bugs on your windows this time of year. <laughs> Justice Steigman, how are you this morning? Terrific. Always uh, <clears throat> great to be here with you guys. And uh, I commend Mike for making this drive. Uh, it makes me feel like I have no complaint to just have to get up early for the program when he's driving all that distance. And uh, Jim Dye, of course, <coughs> uh, has a difficult time uh, making it here. He's... Uh, <coughs> What, about 100 feet away, but uh, he's always the last one here. You know, if you're a diva, you got to show up late. <laughs> <laughs> a diva. Well, that's, uh, we've always uh, start out with something uh, just uh, kind of fun and uh, not very lawyer-related, uh, so uh, or law-related, either one. So let's just talk about a little bit about the uh, football and the basketball and the Cubs and the Cardinals and things like that. What about the rules that uh, they're trying to uh, come up with to uh, make uh, baseball a little uh, faster, get uh, those three- and four-hour games uh, uh, down a little bit, and some of them even win five hours? What do you think, Michael? Well, did they pass the rule that the catcher counts the same as the manager? So if the manager comes out once to talk to the pitcher and the catcher then in the same inning comes out to talk to the pitcher, that's two the pitcher's gone. That would make a big difference because if you watch, the catchers are coming out all the time now. That's one. May, uh, they're trying to get the batter in the box, make the pitcher throw the ball. I was a, As a White Sox fan, Mark Burley used to throw the ball about every five seconds, and you'd, you could get from Mark Burley, Bob Gibson, uh, Fergie Jenkins, a two-hour-plus game. But the real cheat, if you watch is how long you can go 
get something in the refrigerator between innings and the bathroom because I think the commercials are now three minutes a half inning. That's six times nine. That's what they do in the playoffs. That's an hour right there. <clears throat> you have any idea about that, Bob? Well, I, I agree with Mike. I uh, have been a long-time uh, baseball fan, and the games are just longer now because they're, it's not just a matter of um, – uh, the commercials, I think, uh, well, you know, I was a big White Sox fan, but Paul Konerko used to drive me <laughs> crazy because after every pitch, you have to step out of the box. and Oh, it's a Velcro problem. You know, the Velcro, yes. you got to adjust the gloves and adjust everything, and, you know, it, it drives me crazy. And <clears throat> it's not that hard. As Mike says, just say you're in the box. Um you have to ask permission to step out, and it's not going to be granted uh, easily or for a long time. But just say uh, uh, the ball's back to the pitcher. He's going to throw it in, what, 10 seconds, Mike? Shit. I, I, you know, 20 seconds used to be a rule. but You know, I, just, I, just throw the ball because it's really affecting the game. It, it's just taking too long, and uh, there's too much of this dancing around. The other thing is – is there only one guy in New York watching 15 different games? Sometimes the people in the stands know within 30 seconds the guy was safe at second base. It wasn't close, and five minutes later you get the same call from New York. Uh, Jim Dye, you and I were uh, talking about uh, basketball and the, the basketball uh, scandal, if it turns out to be that, all these uh, guys, uh, assistant coaches are getting arrested, and uh, Bruce Pearl is uh, kind of uh, – in I the think our buddy Bruce now. is in trouble. Uh, well, uh, is that uh, what you think? Uh, that's what I understand. I mean, you know, they charged one of his principal assistants, uh, Chuck Person, I think. Well, he was actually indicted. Uh, I understand that Auburn is uh, conducting an internal investigation that Bruce Pearl isn't uh, isn't cooperating. So the name Bruce Pearl probably doesn't mean a lot to uh, people who haven't been following Illinois basketball. <clears throat> but for those of us who've been around since the mid-'80s and watched what happened with uh, the NCAA investigation involving Bruce Pearl and Deion Thomas. That's a name that's seared in our brain, and I'm sure there will be a lot of Illini fans who are really going to be take some, uh, was it schadenfreude, is that the word, uh, Judge Steigman? Yeah, you uh, got it, if they see uh, If they see Bruce Pearl <clears throat> go down for a second time for misconduct, the NCAA star witness, this is going to be the second time. So. On, on the subject of sports, it's, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, Jim, is there's a story from uh, the Tribune two weeks ago about how the Pennsylvania governor signed legislation to legalize online sports betting in that state. And it goes back to one of my pet bugaboos that I forced to go out to Las Vegas to make sports bets. <laughs> they expect to rake in $200 million annually from uh, taxes and casinos, uh, license fees. Uh, and, you know, it's it's a voluntary tax. It's like the people who are silly enough to buy uh, lotto tickets or whatever. Well, you know, as Jim Thompson said, it's entertainment. No one can expect to win, but you put down a dollar and you can have all these fantasies. In fact, uh, it would be a lot better bet to be able to bet on sports teams. It would be voluntary taxation on a guy like me, I'd put down my $25 bet, and the state can take its chunk of it, and the people who provide the facilities can get happy. And I, I don't understand why it is, given our terrible financial situation, that uh, 
the state doesn't even consider it. Is it the church lady factor again? They're trying to save my soul, keep me from demon gambling. Of course, they keep saying it's too late, ladies. Leave me alone, but it doesn't seem to work. Jim, you want to do a talk to the uh, to the, our two uh, judges here about uh, speculate a little bit about the validity of the uh, these legal charges? Well, yeah, I was. I've read some legal commentary on the, on the federal charges in the basketball case, and there's been some suggest- some suggestions that uh, maybe the feds are overreaching in some capacities. And I just wonder what Mike, you as a federal judge, I mean, the federal government can pretty do pretty much what it wants. But do you have any thoughts at all about? As a former federal judge, about uh, about the criminal charges filed in the basketball case, are you talking about uh, Patino or Pearl or? No, we're talking about the guys that have North been charged. North Carolina going to class? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> this talking is about, you know what I'm talking about? I, talking I do, about. but you know the interesting thing that people don't know. They assume that the Attorney General of the United States runs 94 districts. Wrong. I've watched Republicans, I've watched Democrats, <laughs> I've watched three districts in, the, in uh, Illinois, I've been on committees for all the time I was on the federal court from judges all over, and you get to talking around a drink and you find out the 94 districts, the U.S. attorney in that district does what he wants, and usually the assistants do what they want. So there's no unified federal dumb down, do this. They can write those memos, but those people are like the United States senators. The attorney general comes and goes. We stay for decades. Let's, uh, take so some, I don't uh, know who's doing it, but I can tell you it's not coming from Washington, D.C. Okay, let's uh, take some uh, calls here. Uh, J.R. is first. Hello, J.R. How you guys doing this morning? We're doing great. Uh, what's on your mind, buddy? Do you think uh, Illinois is going to legalize marijuana anytime soon? Uh, they could use the money. Uh, marijuana in Illinois is de facto legal right now because it's been decriminalized, and I think small possession for small amounts is what a fine-only offense, and I don't even think there's much enthusiasm for that. As far as whether or not marijuana will be legalized, people in Illinois look at Washington and Colorado and say that's some kind of a a revenue panacea, and so I think virtually all the Democratic candidates, except Chris Kennedy, who's been notably reluctant to endorse it, uh, are on board with the legalization of marijuana. I think that's probably coming at some point in the future and maybe not in the too distant future. What do you think, Bob? I agree, uh, and uh, I uh, think uh, it's probably well overdue. It's, again, throwback to people who just don't like what you want to do with yourself and they're going to uh, prohibit you from doing it because it's just bad. Well, enough of that. Let me throw in one thing that's interesting because I did, now I'm sitting in Peoria again, but sitting in the rural counties, I watched a dramatic difference from when I grew up to now. Uh, used to be cold beer meant get one for the road, a road sody. And lots of people in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s in the rural area drank a beer and drove. Not intoxicated, just I'm driving a beer from my house to grandma's house. One beer. You can now smoke one joint from your house to grandma's house and pay $120. But if you have a can of beer open, you are in trouble for that open container of beer that's going to go against your insurance, etc. So we have a dramatic difference between one toke and one beer 
right now, and the legislature hasn't done anything to try to say, are we encouraging people to smoke a joint instead of a can of beer? People do it in the rural area. They always have. They still do. Let's see what uh, Alan has to say. Hello, Alan. Good morning. Um, I was wondering if anybody had any ideas on how to uh, keep from getting unwanted phone calls. I get multiple calls every week about my credit cards, my computer network. Um, I'm on the no-call list. I've even tried, you can punch a certain sequence on your phone and return the phone call. And all that did was get me charged $3. <laughs> Alan, let me jump in on this. You think you work for the federal government, you're a federal judge, and you can walk down and talk to the U.S. attorney and get something done. My wife complains about this all the time. You go to the U.S. attorney, and he says, Mike, I have the same problem. These all come from countries that don't have treaties with the United States. That's where the calls originate from. That's where the phishing, trying to get you to answer something, comes from. There's no way the federal government can stop it. The no-call list is for people in the United States. So we are now part of a world that's flat, and people can use the phone anywhere in the world, and they can also use the computer anywhere in the world, and we're stuck. You know, that's, uh, that's actually a good way to, to increase employment. Let's uh, <laughs> repeal our no-call no, uh, rule. And uh, bring, let some Americans do, yeah, do bring the jobs back home. <laughs> bring jobs back home. <laughs> See, you can't win when you deal with these people. You're dealing with smart people. They know how to get around the rules. And uh, you, you're, getting them on, you're getting them on your uh, cell phones yes. now, too. There yes. for a long time, uh, cell phones were sort of a, uh, someplace that you, you felt safe, and you got them only on the, the landlines. Now the landlines are disappearing, and somehow they're getting them on the cell phones. You know, I, I Any, hate to— Anything uh, else, uh, Alan? No, that was it. I mean, I tried playing along with these guys and say, oh, I got a million dollars on my credit card, or I'll say I got 5000 And I can never actually find out, you know, what they're trying to get out of me. You know, what you might think about doing is going to cost you some money is maybe a caller ID might help. But other than that, I think you're stuck, just like all of us. Okay, very but good. Jim, what Thank they're you. doing, because my wife shows me, and I started getting them on the cell phone, they give you numbers that are similar to your area area code and even in lake in illinois she got two the other day that started with 246 309 246 there aren't that many 246s but they somehow can computerize all this stuff we need to uh, take a break here uh, where i have some callers uh, waiting we're at the three five six nine three nine seven a text us at the three five one five three five seven back after this we're back with uh, appellate court justice uh, Robert Steigman with uh, Circuit Judge Michael McCuskey and uh, Jim Dye from the News Gazette. And uh, Jim is next. Hello, Jim. Yes. Can well, you hear me? We hear you fine. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Hey, guys. Uh, Jim, I'm sorry to hear that you're leaving. and I want to tell you that you had a wonderful show, and I very seldom miss it. And uh, I call in quite a bit, too. And... Uh, I wish you good luck in your endeavors, but uh, what I I don't I just turned tuned in just a little bit ago, but I was watching Face the Nation and I watch them programs. I tape them and I uh, on Sunday and and I was appalled to hear. Maybe you guys have heard about it. Uh, I want to get your perspective on this. Uh, if a girl has been harassed or a victim 
have been arrested out on Capitol Hill, a victim must wait three months to file a complaint, then first submit to 30 days of counseling, wait another 30 days for mediation, and then another 30 days to seek a hearing. Then if there's a settlement, it is paid by the taxpayers and not the perp. So over $15 million has been paid out to the victims, and nobody has ever been exposed. And I've called uh, my congressmen and my senators, and I uh, can't get much of an answer. They said, well, you know, this is just unfolding. But uh, now, if they paid out $15 million, it ain't, you know, it ain't uh, just Al Franken, you know. So there's a bunch of them. That, and, did you guys ever hear of anything like this before? Well, let, let me take the first shot. <clears throat> no, I haven't, and I can't believe that now that we know where to look, uh, maybe Mike McCuskey can correct me if I'm wrong, I can't believe that Congress can expend money without having it be revealed, without having uh, someone be able to find out who did you spend money uh, to, who did you spend money, uh, who was given it, and uh, for what reason. What about that, Mike? Well, I, for, my first thing is, Somebody may have been in court and got a settlement for $15 million. I've been, I have had $15 million cases this year. But the procedure you talked about getting there, I think, is fake news. You don't think it's true? I don't, not the procedure, 30 days, 30 days, 30 days, counseling. I don't believe that. What does the uh, well? If it, if it is true, let's just say if it is true, I would say it's a perfect example of what happens when uh, people who are people are writing the rules by which they will be held accountable. And so, what do they do? They, they, it's a, it's a sham. It's the same thing with the legislative Ex- inspector general in Illinois, which we've just gone through this business in Springfield, where the post was vacant for three years and. The legislative leaders were happy to leave it vacant, and all of a sudden this woman comes forth and says, Senator Silverstein harassed me, and I tried to file it with the inspector general, but there's no inspector general, and everybody in the legislature said, what, there's no inspector general? I'm shocked. Well, and Tom so, Homer, the, Tom the previous there. inspector general who quit because uh, the job was so toothless and he wasn't given any authority, the background on him is he was a Democratic state right. legislator yeah. who became a state appellate judge, and I knew him well, and he's a really sharp guy. And it's the old story of we made a mistake. We put somebody in here who's sharper, wants to do the job. Time to undercut him. <coughs> right, and so also, they left the vacant prosecutor. Yes. What does the uh, what does the law say about sexual harassment? What what, what is it? Uh, it, it? I could uh, now spend a week on a seminar on this, Jim. This okay, is, well, I'll just yeah. try to try to do it a little quicker than that. But it's a uh, lawsuit. He'd like to spend a week. That way, he could talk for a week. <laughs> no, it's a lawsuit. I could also tell, tell you stories about cases I had, even involving university presidents. Well, I was going to ask you that next. But, but it uh, isn't what, an what easy does the law thing to say. Exp- what, what? The, the law goes on, Jim, like the IRS code. Okay, <laughs> it isn't. Well, it, it's yeah. it's essentially you can't treat people badly on account of sex. Oh, okay. If now, if you treat everyone badly, that's a defense. <laughs> I mean, really, it's not a matter of touching. But if you if you if you're treating someone badly, uh, male and female, as far as uh, uh, your discussions, your uh, the the meaning of them, and all that, uh, that's not actionable. But if uh, you're singling out women, for instance, and it can be on account of sex. 
then that can be an actionable claim. It's, it's written in kind of broad terms and fleshed out by the cases. The facts mean everything. Have either of you had uh, many uh, back when you were a circuit judge? Or, and, uh, and well, I see it in the appellate court. Yeah. We, we have uh, some of these cases. And, you know, it's not tricky by the time it gets up there. You know, it's the old story of uh, Potter Stewart's wonderful line. and may not ha- know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. The kinds of cases we've seen, if the trier fact believed the complainant, this is not a tricky case. It's like uh, Charlie Rose, by the way, who's the epitome of smugness as someone who's had occasion to watch this guy for years and before I could turn off the channel. Uh, he's the kind of stuff he did and that Weinstein Weinstein did, you know, you, this, you don't have to be checking in the statute book, say, gee, is this covered? You bet. Well, it could almost be covered as a uh, criminal criminal conduct in yes. some cases. Yes. Not just civil harassment. Glenn Beck, who's on radio on Peoria, uh, used to be on Fox and CNN and other channels, but he's on radio now, and he said something interesting yesterday. He said, watch the politics. If it's a Democrat that's accused of doing sexual harassment, the Republicans attack him, the Democrats find an excuse. If it's vice versa, he's... So he said the hypocrisy of politics now. Our guy never did anything wrong. Your guy did. And it's back and forth. It'd be a more persuasive argument if 95% of these guys weren't Democrats and liberals. <laughs> I think uh, you're wrong, Bob. Let's just the, stop paying, paying politics. That's what yeah. Glenn Beck said. Everybody wants to play politics, and nobody wants to work on the problem. Well, you can, first of all, identify it for what it is. 95% of them are leftists and Democrats. The Bob, only one who isn't Bob, at the moment is, is Roy Moore. Come on. Did you ever hear? You ever listen to Glenn Beck? No. Well, he's to the right of Rush Limbaugh. <laughs> Therefore, what? That Forget makes him it. believable? I can't educate you. You're too political. Okay. Well, the problem, the problem is it's not the behavior. It's the, what the, the power that the individual holds. So the Democrats don't want to lose Al Franken in the Senate because the Senate's closely divided and they lose his vote. The Republicans have the problem that Roy Moore uh, is, is the same thing on the other side. If, if Roy Moore loses in Alabama, then the Democrats uh, are are only down 51.49 instead of 52.48. So it's not that they're going to excuse this guy. It's that we need his power, so we have to live with it. And, be, okay, and uh, We need to uh, break for the uh, news uh, headlines here. We have uh, several callers waiting. Got a good discussion going. We'll continue, but uh, Brian Barnard has the news headlines, and we'll be back and continue right after that. Uh, here is uh, Brian. We're back on a Penny for Thoughts. My guests today are Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman, Circuit Judge Michael McCuskey, and uh, Jim Dye from the News Gazette. We've had several people uh, waiting. Let's uh, see what they have to say this morning. We go to uh, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hey, uh, good morning. I was wondering, uh, are judges required to participate in the judges' retirement system, or is there a mechanism, an option for them to participate in what? elect not to retirement. participate in the judges? Judge retirement system, hence paying the Social Security. Well, I th- in Illinois, uh, you are become a member unless you affirmatively uh, choose not to, like within the first month of being elected. At least that's the way it was when I was first elected. And once that happens, then you're in the system, and uh, you can't get out uh, if you want to change your mind. So, Judge Steigman could tell you a little bit about that if you'd like to hear more. <laughs> 
It's okay. a wonderful system. It's actually the best retirement system in the world. The only trouble is you have to retire to take advantage of it. So I'm at uh, loggerheads on that. I once had the pleasure of uh, watching Judge Steigman report in some litigation that he filed uh, asking to be released from uh, participation in the judicial retirement system. And, and it was amazing to watch the judge rule against the judge. Yeah, I lost. <laughs> he lost. <laughs> you know what they say about it? A, a guy who represents himself, you know, you go. lawyer with, who represents himself in court has a fool for a client. <laughs> but anyway, I thought you made a brilliant argument and that judge wasn't smart enough to accept it. Well, I, uh, I, Dave, I, uh, you have to jump in here if you have a follow-up. Yeah, I was wondering, so has uh, either Judge uh, McKay or Steigman, are you eligible for Medicare? Everybody's uh, eligible for Medicare at age 65. I signed up. I don't know if Bob did. Well, how'd you, how'd you, how was your Medicare eligibility determined if judges don't participate in Social Security? I did participate in Social Security for more than 40 quarters before I ever became a judge. See, I'd like to be a judge at 18, but I started working. Once you get 40 quarters, you're in Social Security. Some of the judges complain that we don't get much benefit from Social Security other than eligibility for Medicare. However, Bob and I keep working. We pay, uh, I pay a huge Medicare premium that I've never once had a Medicare claim. Yeah, in my case, uh, I have health insurance through uh, uh, the state health policy, and I, whatever the policy is, is what I get. I've never signed up for anything special as far as I know. Did you sign up for Medicare? Mm-hmm. Let's go to uh, Bob. <laughs> Hello, Bob. Hi, thanks for, <clears throat> thanks for taking my call this morning. Uh, my, my three topics this morning are going to concern the Constitution and what the Founding Fathers were thinking when they did gerrymandering, the Electoral College, and gun access. And so I'll let you touch those topics. I don't think they actually did anything about gerrymandering. No. They, specifically the subject of gerrymandering, guns, I think it's pretty clear, the Second Amendment. And what was the second, third thing you mentioned? Uh, the Electoral College. Oh, the Electoral uh, College. No, like the Electoral the College is, I think, a clear... Uh, uh, example of uh, how we are a federal system, and it's to uh, give protection and importance to the states so that um, you have to carry states to be elected uh, president so that even though, as Hillary likes to point out, I won the um, a popular vote, well, you got all these votes in California and New York, which puts you over the top of the popular vote, but that doesn't matter. For the same reason, by the way, that the Founding Fathers had the wisdom in the famous Connecticut Compromise to come up with a bicameral legislature. So we have representation by population in the House of Representatives, which accounts for why I think California is like 52 or something like that um, representatives in Congress. Yet in the Senate, uh, we have two senators per state, notwithstanding population. So Alaska and Wyoming, I think, are the two smallest uh, states in population. They each have two senators, as does California. And uh, I think uh, it was a brilliant compromise uh, because our states are important and our federalist federal system is important. And uh, that's one of the ongoing battles, as a matter of fact. There's uh, a lot of people in Congress, regrettably from both parties, uh, ignorant Republicans, as I like to deem them, who don't have enough respect for the federalist system and who believe, as do so many Democrats, that 
if there's anything the federal government should do, it can do it, uh, and it's empowered to do it, and that's just not the way things should work. On gerrymandering, that's really interesting because it comes about, it's been done for over 100 years, but it comes about when you have the House and the, in, in our General Assembly, the House and Senate of one party, the governor of one party, and then I'll tell you about everybody assumes this can be done every 10 years that when the census comes out and then redistrict the, st- the uh, state politically. Uh, I think it's 30-some states now have absolute good gerrymandering. They've run the table. Illinois is one of eight Democrat states, and there's over 25 or 6 Republican states which is why I believe the House of Representatives is going to stay Republican for a long time. So there's nothing illegal about gerrymandering. Both parties do it, have done it. And, uh, but Tom DeLay pulled something in Texas that most people have not followed through. They changed it before 10 years, didn't want to wait, when they finally had a, all of the right party, the Republicans, and the Supreme Court said you don't have to wait 10 years. One quick point on gerrymandering, by the way. There's a, there's a case now pending before the U.S. Supreme Court on gerrymandering, which is the essence, as far as I'm concerned, of uh, judicial activism. We had, <clears throat> despite it's been 200 years of gerrymandering, and despite prior decisions of the U.S. Supreme Court saying this is a matter that's left to the legislative bodies, we now have uh, an argument being made that, oh, it's just not good policy. And if it's not good policy, then by God, it must be against the Constitution. And uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has this case now pending, and I think it would be awful if uh, the U.S. Supreme Court somehow were to come down and say, no, this is, you know, it's a violation of constitutional rights to politically discriminate on the basis of party as you district uh, your new con- congressional and House and Senate districts in, in the House, State House. And it's, it's crazy. It's awful. The Seventh Circuit bought this argument to its discredit, and hopefully the U.S. Supreme Court will reject it. One minor correction on that. The Seventh Circuit didn't buy it. The, there was a special three-judge panel in Wisconsin uh, that heard it initially, and, it's being, and it was, it's being appealed directly to the U.S. Supreme yes. Court. Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, Bob is absolutely right. The Wisconsin case uh, has a real, the real potential to kind of turn the system upside down. So we'll have to see where that goes. It's going to be 5-4. With respect to the— And that's Republican redistricting, gerrymandering in Wisconsin, yes, right? Yes, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay, and— uh, we were talking initially about the uh, the um, how the the founders uh, decided what they're going to do with uh, gerrymandering. We're talking it, it, the the whole point behind the Constitution is we don't want anybody pushing anybody else around. We don't want the majority picking on the minority, which they call the tyranny of the majority. We don't want the minor we we want but we want ma- majority rule. So you create this balance of power the balance of power say with two members of the Senate and and House being based on population. And the whole idea is uh, is we don't want to make great changes unless there's really consensus to do it. And the best way to do so is to allow uh, the minority substantial to say about what's going on, and that's kind of what the Constitution is all about. With, se- with you know, with three separate branches of government, where everybody's watching theoretically each other like a hawk, and they're they're very defensive about any kind of intrusion. So, 
I think it's a brilliant system, and I just am I'm amazed that we had people around at that time that were that smart. Now, we do have to remember the Constitution was white male. Women didn't vote, and blacks were not part of the system. Well, you know, for I'm what? Not, I'm not going to. No, gonna, I mean, it, I, some of us would say there's a perfect system, three white, four white males in the room. We you know, you're, you're, you're way off, Mike, on that, because well, I, I think it's unfair to judge people that lived two or three hundred years ago by the standards of today. I mean, is there any other no, country in the world? Is there any other the country in the world were. with these evil white males? That I didn't came up say with that. The, you did. No, come on. No. You're saying. You no, know, I'm being factual. Women didn't vote. That's right. The citizens didn't select their senators. That was done by the legislature. Might not have been a bad idea. And I think, what, blacks were half for the Electoral College well, or something? once again, we have a compromise because slavery goes back to before this country even and existed. And I'm just saying, I'm a former history teacher. Tis, teach the history the way it was. What's I'm the not, point? I'm, the point is factual. Okay. I'm trying to—when people say, what did the founding fathers intend, we also have to say— Things have changed. Well, of course things have changed. And you know why they've changed? Because the founders created a document that was capable of dealing with societal change. And I think, once again, you know, even though they were evil white males, that that's not necessarily No, you're playing politics. Point. Now, oh, on, on the gun, that was guns. His third was guns. Yeah. And it took us how many years for the Supreme Court to say what it really meant? That you have the right to bear weapons. Now, what does that have to do with the white males? It, I'm trying to say historically, not all these things were very clear, even to the Supreme Court. Well, I could Court. point out that the first uh, majority of the founders were from Virginia. And you'd say, what's the point? And I'd say, there See, is you're, no point. you're attacking me because I'm being historically correct. You're bringing up facts, and then you say, what's the point of that fact? And you say, oh, nothing. What just, was I his first point? What did the founding fathers mean? It took us 200 years for the Supreme Court to say what the Second Amendment said. Well, now, this, we all know that the Constitution means whatever a judge says it means. So there or were just, the newspapers. We don't have that kind of clout. <laughs> so when you have uh, the Supreme Court saying it doesn't mean the right to bear arms, you could have said, well, that, that, that's what it took 150 years for the Supreme Court to say. It doesn't mean you have the right to bear arms. I mean, courts change interpretations. Plessy versus Ferguson took a long time before Brown. We have to be factually correct. It takes time to interpret some of this stuff. Okay, guys, uh, let's uh, see what uh, Tony has to say about this. Hi, Tony. Tony, you, got, you want to step into this argument, Tony, and separate <laughs> the pugilists here? Well, I want to go back to um, <laughs> what the uh, uh, one judge was saying about the Democrats being the sexual harassers. Um, <laughs> he's just factually wrong. I mean, most of the Republicans that have been caught are paying these women absurd amount of money like Bill O'Reilly, what kind of sexual harassment do you have to do for $32 million settlement? I don't know how much Bill O'Reilly's worth, but I can't imagine him being worth more than $100 million. So you're going to give a woman a third of your income? I think he must have had a bad lawyer. Arrest? Yeah, Bill no, O'Reilly Bill O'Reilly is a, uh, I think we're talking about public officials, not necessarily commentators, although Bill O'Reilly is certainly identified with the uh, the conservative movement. But, you know, this thing is really not partisan at all, I don't think. I mean, I think you've got guys, Democrats and Republicans, or older guys who are interested in younger women, and that, that kind of, uh, I think, is a bipartisan interest. 
Well, I don't think it's older guys and younger guys. I think it's men in general. I mean, men are dogs. <laughs> well, I know, but I the mean, girls don't re- don't object so much when the guy's not seventy years old. <laughs> they don't, they they object less when he's twenty five and he doesn't have any well, authority well, over. Him. <laughs> well, that's true, and and that's my my next point. So Charlie Rose is an older man who gets fired one day after these things come out. He's suspended. Ryan, he's not fired, but go ahead. He, well, but then Ryan Seacrest, who's a young, good-looking guy, gets accused three days ago, and we hear nothing about it. Like, well, you know, once again, Ryan like, Seacrest is just some Hollywood, some vapid Hollywood actor who doesn't really, I mean, maybe he might not get a movie role, but, you know, who who is going to fire Ryan Seacrest? He doesn't really have a permanent employer. He's an actor who's kind of a freelancer, isn't he? Yes. Ryan, Ryan Seacrest has, like, five jobs. He has E! News. He's on The Kelly Show. I mean, he's got more jobs and more... Um, notoriety than Charlie Rose ever has. I mean, I don't so, know. You're just out of touch, guy. I guess I am. Well, you know, uh, I don't listen to music well, that well, was well, just, created just, after just, 1980. So, just Google Ryan Seacrest. He's got like okay. five jobs. I, mean, I appreciate it. appreciate it, uh, Tony. We need to take a quick break. I have break to renew here, my but, subscription uh, to People Magazine. <laughs> Jim, you want to do the break for me? No, huh? Go ahead. Okay, it's uh, 9:49. A quick break. Coming right back. We're talking uh, during that break about early uh, primaries, et cetera. It's it's, uh, interesting uh, to me to see uh, what direction uh, these uh, billionaires are going with their their advertising. Pritzker seems to be running against uh, Trump. I don't, uh, you know, does, does he realize who the governor is? Well, who's who's uh, Ronner running against? He's running against Madigan. Yes. <laughs> Everybody's looking for the bad guy to run against, not each other. <laughs> yeah, but at least the Madigan's in the state. <laughs> well, as I was mentioning over the break, the uh, filing period starting next Monday for March primary is an ongoing disgrace to both political parties and it's a sign about how the bosses in both political parties are equally culpable by having this system in place, which is designed solely to make it harder for any non-incumbents to run and to leave the control of the power structure with the leaders of both parties. And uh, you can look around the nation. Uh, some some states don't have primaries until September before the November election. We could easily do it in, in June or July. It should be done then. Uh, in non-presidential years, which is 2018. Well, how, how, how has that changed? How, how do you get to With change? the legislature. And, in fact, there have <laughs> been bills introduced in the legislature, and the uh, czar of Madagascar doesn't like this idea. But it's I don't blame Mike Madigan because this is a joint enterprise. Thompson, Edgar, Ryan, all the Republican leadership, they think this is just fine, too, and it's it's a disgrace to both of them. The only losers are the people of the state of Illinois, and as we know, the politicians don't care anything about them. And the way you hide it, Jim, is you say we want to be so we're considered for the presidential election that our choice for the nomination is early, but it's really about everybody else. Yeah, and that's a presidential year. That would be that's an a, it's a colorable argument, as they say, in 2016, 2020. There is no colorable argument in 2018 and why we have this early primary other than to make it advantageous for the political leadership and to make it difficult for the people. We only have a couple of minutes. No, we've got about five minutes left before well, we move on to some other big topic. But quick you, point. You have something to add yeah. to that? Uh, 
Jim Dye made a point about this uh, gerrymandering case and about how things are up uh, before the U.S. Supreme Court. And, and I'm really concerned that uh, apparently it's Anthony Kennedy, once again, who uh, has the votes in the balance. And uh, one of the interesting things to point out is, isn't it amazing how the conservative justices on the court, supposedly conservatives like Kennedy, sometimes go left, but the leftist justices never go right. For instance, I've, I'm a careful watcher of the U.S. Supreme Court. I do not remember the last time ever that the discussion was on some important case, such as the Obamacare decision that came up uh, several years ago. How's Ginsburg going to vote? Where will Breyer be on this? How will Kagan vote in this matter? Somehow, that's that never seems to be an issue, Mike. It's only how will the Republican appoint these judges go? And and literally, in the last, can you recall? I can't. This is not hyperbole. The last time there was what could be viewed as a political sort of case, like Obamacare, where a Democrat appointee to the U.S. Supreme Court did not follow the party line. No, they've been in the minority for 60 years. That's why the swing vote has always been a Republican, whether it's Kennedy, Sandra Day O'Connor. But if we go back a long time, we have people who've been considered bad appointments. Uh, also, Wizard White was one who usually voted with the Republicans and was a Kennedy appointee, but that's a long time ago. You're dead right. Yeah. And that's why— So we have David Souter and right. we have Sandra Day O'Connor and we had Brennan, who Eisenhower said was the worst damn full mistake he ever made in his but life. But he owed that because he had made a deal with the power, Republican power brokers in New Jersey to let Brennan get the job, so let's, of all things. let's put an idiot on but, the Supreme but Court. I always like to remind people the Supreme Court has had a majority of Republicans appointed for over 50 years. Let's go to the uh, phones for Eric. Hello, Eric. Hello, Jim. Hello, judges. Good morning. Listen, I don't. Back to your. Uh, Mike said he was a history teacher. Yes, I was. Yeah, there's a. Here's what's at, at, at hand. Here's is revisionist history and taking history. You know, You're cutting out on us a little bit there. I said. I said Taking history out of context is a major problem right now. You know, events happen, you know, like you said, someone said three, four hundred years ago, and you dug them by the standards of today. Well, you're not, you're, none of it's ever going to wash. You know, I mean, take slavery. I mean, those people were sold into slavery by their own people. You know, I mean, there was slavery before the slaves came to the United States. It's, it's all biblical times all across the world. Uh, where people of power have, have indentured or, you know, appropriated other people. There's nothing uh, unique to the American experience or the North American experience behind that, you know. Now, history is an ugly thing. It's a, essentially one conquest you know, after another. Then you go with the Columbus Day and all the vilification of Columbus, which I find, you know, uh, egregious, because, again, that's being taken out of context. A lot of people wouldn't be sitting in their homes right now all across uh, this hemisphere were not for that uh, explore, for those explorers back in that day. So I don't get it, Judge. It sounds like you don't, don't celebrate National Indigenous Peoples of Color Genocide Remembrance Day. 
which is what we sensitive uh, folks of the teens call Columbus Day. I don't because I don't know that there are any indigenous people here. I, I, they didn't just sprout up out of the ground. They came over the Bering Strait, you know, years and years ago. So that's a that's a weak argument, you know, for, about it. What is indigenous? That's that's a, a flexible term. Anyway, thanks for listening. You have a great day. Thank <laughs> you. Glad you called, Eric. Uh, thanks right. very much. We are indeed out of uh, time during the, the first hour, but uh, we'll uh, take a quick break here for some news from CBS, uh, some local news to uh, follow that. And then uh, we will uh, come back with our number two with a reminder that we're at 356-9397. And uh, you can uh, text us as well at mostly uh, phone calls uh, this morning, but you can uh, text us if you would uh, care to. That number is 351-5357. So stick with us. We're going to break for the news and come right back here on WDWS in Champaign-Urbana. Welcome back to our number two of A Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. Uh, my guests are uh, Jim Dye from the News Gazette. He's the opinions editor, Circuit Judge Michael McCuskey, and Appellate Court Justice Robert Steigman. Notice how I read those in a different order now. I didn't want die, I didn't want to die to feel so bad because yeah. he handles hey, it well though. I'm, hey, the third, what, what, I'm definitely the third banana here. We I want we wanted to ask uh, the the uh, Jim and I both want to ask the two judges. Uh, what's this about that guy going to sleep? The oh, sleeping God. judge. <laughs> I feel sorry for Jeff O'Connor. I've known Jeff for over thirty years. He is an outstanding judge. If Jeff was here, I may say, because I've had the same problem, and sleep apnea is a common a common thing. And when you're in the courtroom and they turn all the lights off and you have sleep apnea, which mine had not been diagnosed, it is, it is a disease. Mayo's. It's t- tough with sleep apnea to stay awake. It is. Now, what a pathetic defense. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. If you had a uh, disease, this is a disease, Jim. It's not laughable. <laughs> And this well, is, now, are you saying he has sleep apnea? Uh, once, once you're at Mayo's and they say your next size is 17 or you're overweight of any size, you need to be checked out. And most people ignore they fall asleep at stoplights. They fall asleep in conversations. They fall asleep when the lights go off. I believe he's got sleep apnea and doesn't know it. He's a very big guy with a very big neck. Mike's answer is putting me to sleep here. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just well, telling you, this is serious. Well, this is serious stuff health-wise. I also believe that my heart attack at age 56 when I was a federal judge, I'd like to put it off on Tim Bass, who gets written out, but I think it was because I had the disease and it was undiagnosed. What do you think about it? In defense of sleep, how about it? Uh, well, um <laughs> It, this is further evidence why Mike McCuskey is a nicer guy than I. <laughs> uh, he, it, this may be the story, but you know. But the majority said it wasn't a problem. It, you know, you're trying a murder case, Judge, and you got to stay awake. Well, and I, I, and I, I, by the way, I've I'm, had. I'm similar, not defending. I would have uh, voted to reverse. Yeah, I would have been with the dissenter. Yeah, you, you have to know your own situation, and I've, I've. Sometimes this can get really boring stuff. Oh, and I know. At a minimum, you have to, and I've done this, I've put my head in my hands and I've just listened and tried to pay attention that way. 
but to actually fall asleep, I, I, I think what, what you have to do, it's kind of like drive it, you know, pull over. What you have to do is if you literally can't stay awake, call who's in charge? Just say, call a recess. I got I, we're getting time to have a recess. And, now, uh, for the, for the, listeners, okay. for the uh, listeners who aren't familiar with this, we had a murder trial in which the judge briefly fell asleep during a video presentation of some evidence. And so the defense said, hey, we got to have a new trial. And they went to the appellate court, and the appellate court ruled two to one, that it was harm, harmless error. So now we have judges that now have liter, legal authority to sleep in the courtrooms. <laughs> and the interesting thing, Jim, about the majority, and they used a case where the judge actually decided, look, I got a phone call. It's more important. Let's go take the phone call and leave the courtroom. They did that. The dissenter said, don't you leave the courtroom when you're asleep? Yeah. So, yeah. did you think the dissent had the better argument? Absolutely. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> did you? Yes. Well, I, I thought, thought it was pretty persuasive. At the same time, I thought, well, it, it looks certainly looks bad, but but it, in terms of affecting the outcome of the trial, I don't think it probably. No, had. but there's certain procedures. You yeah, have you, to you're follow. not you're not the guy on trial. Though, yeah. Either. This is this might or be murder. called structural error. Yeah. Yeah. You know that even you know the the question and it's a good question. There was an error here, but was was it harmless? And right. you can ask that question in most instances. And if you think this guy was so guilty, we're going to say the error was harmless and affirm the conviction. In this case, this was a multiple multiple yeah, victim murder trial, and the evidence like, was overwhelming. It was, but there's structural errors like when a judge walks out of the courtroom. That's what the case of Mike's right. talking about. Yeah. Took a phone call and told the lawyers, you guys keep, keep going. going. You know, <laughs> that's... That can't be. That can't be I'll right. I'll tell you another structural error. It could be absolute. You got the video. You got the eyewitnesses. The guy stabbed somebody to death. So the judge says, "You know, this could be a dangerous guy. Let's shackle him and bolt his feet down in the courtroom and let the jury see that." That's a str- You don't do yeah, that. Yeah, that's another example. <laughs> uh, bad stuff. Let's you know, see uh, what the bill has to say this morning. Hello, Bill. Good morning. Uh, this may be an old question. Some people probably put them to sleep. <laughs> but uh, I think when you're talking government policy or decisions, I don't think there's a person on the planet that's not political in some way. That includes judges and uh, political commentators, newspaper people, and the media, politicians, everyone. My question is, I've heard... Alan Dershowitz say that colluding with the Russians, there's no crime on the books or no statute on the books makes that a crime. And but yet Robert Mueller was appointed special counsel. And I was I just don't know who to believe. I've heard that there has to be a specific crime that's being investigated before a special counsel can be appointed. That's a very good question. Let me. I have two quick responses. The first is with regard to uh, everyone's got some political leanings and views and all that. I think that's clearly true. And one of the important things that, um, for instance, if you're a reporter reporting the news or if you're a judge who's hearing a case, you're supposed to recognize these leanings, not failings, but your, your own leanings, and overcome them. Uh, that's and it's you know it's not that hard to do. It's you're in this important position if you're a judge, and uh, uh, it shouldn't matter to you 
because it's a you're not upholding the office if you take into account uh, the political connections of the lawyers or the defendants or how this case will be viewed. Uh, you know, it's people say, well, can you do it? And you can and you should. You're in the wrong job if you don't. I think news reporters, when reporting the news, uh, might be aware of their own biases, but they ought to report it objectively. And the key is so that someone reading the story wouldn't be able to tell what the personal biases are of uh, the guy reporting the news. Now, going back to collusion, it's been over a year now we've been hearing about collusion, <clears throat> and the wonderful thing about that term is how amorphous it is. I've, I've, on this program, we've had that discussion. I say, what does that mean? Uh, collusion uh, covers all kinds of potential different things, and what Mueller, if that's how to pronounce his name, is apparently looking into is, are there specific facts uh, that might constitute some criminal involvement from connections that people in the Trump campaign may have had with uh, Russians or other third parties to that might constitute a violation of criminal law. Uh, the idea about collusion and, you know, bless his heart, I've heard Tucker Carlson press uh, some a Democratic congressman on this say, what do you mean? Will you define this term for me? And I've yet to hear anyone really define it, which doesn't mean to say that there couldn't be some underlying facts here, but I just don't know what they are. Well, you know, speaking of collusion, I mean, you have the Manafort thing. He was under investigation and he's been indicted, but the indictment against him has nothing to do with the campaign to do with anything. I mean, it happened. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing to do with anything, nothing to do with the presidential campaign. In fact, it involves, uh, alleged wrongdoing that, that occurred years before that. So you, you do have, I mean, collusion is not a federal crime. You do have to have specific uh, acts of wrongdoing, and I guess that's what Mueller's looking for, and I suppose he's going to indict Mike Flynn, but from what I've read about Flynn, I mean, what he's involved with has nothing to do with politics either. Well, I'll give you an example uh, with Bogoyevich, the conspiracy. So you start out investigating conspiracy, and as a federal judge, you're issuing wiretaps all the time, on conspiracy. And the amazing thing that happens more often than not is you're looking to see if somebody is conspiring to commit a certain crime and what happens when they investigated the financial affairs of Jesse Jackson Jr. and his wife to see if they were involved in conspiring to, bu to buy a Senate seat they ended up saying, no, they weren't doing that, but they were cheating on their income taxes big time. <laughs> Mike, you've been a judge for a long time, too. Wouldn't you say that um, it's not as hard as a lot of people think to be able to set aside your own individual thoughts, biases, etc., when you're sitting as a judge and just handle the job the way it should be? It's easy for me because my background. I was an athlete. I was involved in college sports. I was a coach a baseball coach and that's where you're an advocate but you also watch these people officiate all the time and you understand that their job is try to do their best to be impartial and fans are always yelling somebody's been paid by somebody somebody's got a friend after you grow up in athletics I think you understand what the referee's job is and we're the referees I got into an argument recently with a friend 
And I like being involved with people who aren't college educated. And he goes, you judges let people go. In 30 years, I've never had a bench trial where I let anybody go because we rarely get a bench trial. It's the citizens that let people go. They find them not guilty. Judges don't. Okay, uh, guys, we uh, need to move on here and talk to uh, Pat. Hello, Pat. Hi, Jim. I'm sorry to hear you're leaving. Uh, with this apnea that we're talking about, sleep apnea, don't you uh, wake up during the night? No, you stop breathing. Yes. Yes. Okay, there's such a thing called narcolepsy where you fall asleep, but you don't breathe like apnea. Yeah, there is. A di- that's a different disease. Yep. And they're both really bad health-wise and things that you can be driving a car and really have an impact on somebody's life. Uh, Joe, good morning. Good morning. Hi, Joe. Uh, Gentlemen, this has been uh, eating at me for quite a while. We've been hearing all these complaints about Russian interference in our election and uh, Russian collusion and Russian this and Russian that. But we have yet to hear anybody bring out anything about the fact that Barack Obama spent three to five hundred thousand dollars of American taxpayer money to interfere in the Israeli election to try to get Benjamin Netanyahu unseated. That was different. What's your opinion? Why is that different? Because <laughs> I think he's being uh, not serious in his response. There, I think Judge Steigman <laughs> thinks it's exactly the same thing. Yep. You want to say why? Well, I, it's it's uh, something that this country has done for a long time. Uh, if, in the case of Barack Obama and uh, the uh, re-election of Netanyahu, it was pretty blatant uh, and uh, upfront about it. And I think it's possibly because uh, uh, they thought it might actually be helpful to the opposition to Netanyahu and Israel, if uh, it was that blatant, but uh, it's not just there. But uh, this is what uh, countries have done uh, throughout. Uh, people putting their thumb on a scale. Uh, we had, uh, you know, how about what did the European leadership say in October of 2016 about the American presidential election? Uh, Angela Merkel. Uh, as, as I recall, was pretty clear about uh, how she didn't think much of Donald Trump. Was that collusion with the Democrats? Was that something to put the thumb on the scale? Uh, it, it's, in my judgment, uh, a lot to do about nothing. This is just like even our friends spy on us and we spy on them. Uh, Angela Merkel's telephone was tapped and Barack Obama had to apologize for that, uh, this should be greeted with a big shrug. And uh, the notion that this affects the legitimacy of uh, the election because of something the Russians may have done is just silly. Well, it's nicer today than it used to be if you watch Ken Burns' series on Vietnam where they finally have been able to get all kinds of records. Uh, We wanted a regime change in Vietnam and the CIA orchestrated the death. And Kennedy said, well, I didn't want that. <laughs> I didn't want him dead. So historically, the CIA, we've killed people to have regime change. Now we just try to do it through the political process. <laughs> we go to uh, Kathy. Hello, Kathy. Hello. 
I was wondering if your guests might comment on how the protesters were handled during the U of I homecoming parade. I'm just wondering if they think that they should have made the move so the parade continues, should they have been arrested. Just curious how they feel about how it was handled. Well, I defer to Mike McCuskey on this. Because I wasn't here. He's, he's a fellow who's been on the board of trustees of the Illinois State University. He's dealt with university administrators <laughs> a lot better than I. Uh, and uh, Mike, uh, what would, as a president of the board of trustees, <laughs> had this been a parade in Bloomington Normal and the same thing happened, what do you think the administration there would have done? What would you have liked if, to see him do, and what would the board say? If we would have known, first you have to know, and then tell the university police that nobody's going to block the parade, whether it's the president or Tom Kasich with the Cub fans at the end of the parade, people have a right to free assembly, free speech, and unfortunately, we must be getting the wrong students historically at ISU because we've never had this problem and there was never a window broken back in the war. Here's the question. The question is, though, what uh, should the University of Illinois, they stop the chancellor's... Uh, did they know? If they, they knew, they what, should what have stopped mean? it. Well, police officers were... Pre- they were present. were present. I see. I wasn't here. Okay. And, and the chancellor just directed them, I think, just to let the protesters. Here's a question I'd like to, to ask Chancellor Jones, and that is this: Had the same actions been taken to block the parade and block his car by the honor the chief folks, would his attitude have been the same? That's a, that's the question. And I suspect no. Because I suspect that Chancellor Jones and the great majority of the faculty are anti-chief and are, frankly, leftists. That's why we have this problem with free speech uh, in the First Amendment, which means that the reason they're not taking the action they should take is because they are in sympathy politically with these folks. You know, when they talk about you should arrest them and they say, well, we don't want to make a big mess out of everything and it's better just to let it go. I mean, you don't have to turn this into a war. All you have to do is give notices to appear in court on a charge of disorderly conduct. And then yep. that's that. That's the, that. Oh, the only person that uh, was put in a uh, police car was the chief of Linawick. <laughs> they, they wanted to get him out of there because he was the one that they... Well, you know, we had the, we had the business where, uh, you know, they blocked the parade. And so if you, if you ignore this kind of conduct, you get more. So to, I think today's paper, we have a story about where, remember, the faculty was charged with uh, assaulting two students uh, because he didn't like their political views, and they got into a dispute on campus. You know, it, well, the you, former, have, the you former, have to put some restraints on people's behavior, otherwise they will run them up. I think the former president of the Board of Trustees of ISU had a good description for university administration in this regard as being gutless. Yeah, that got me some publicity, didn't it? <laughs> well, let me let me go back to being impartial. Okay. Um, I did not hear any of the chief cases that came to federal court. Why? Because I was at the Honor the Chief events. My wife and I and son wear chief clothing, still have it. So that really would be the appearance of impropriety for me to hear that case. There are some people actually would do that and wouldn't care. But that's how you try to be impartial when you have a belief that you believe would override fairness. So I sit back and watch this, and I'm going, when will this ever end? 
How about the uh, president of the University of Chicago, uh, Jim Nye? What did, what did he say about all this? Well, the University of Chicago and Purdue and a couple other enlightened places have taken a position that the First Amendment applies to the to the campus of the University of Chicago, that everybody is allowed to be heard and nobody is allowed to be uh, shouted down by people who don't want them to and speak. And if they are, they will be uh, arrested. And well, if this is a problem, fashion. if this is a problem for you, Snowflake, don't come to this school. Yeah, well, and they did—they did have to put the chancellor in a police car for his own protection. <laughs> yeah, isn't that? Well, awful? that's a disgrace too. Yes, I, I mean, mean it's, because we were driving the car that he was on, and they asked, "Would you like to get in a police car?" And he said, "Yes." Here's the fundamental point that Jim Dye made reference to again, and has to be sp- spoken once more. What we as parents all know is this: the more you tolerate bad behavior, <laughs> the more you can expect to see it. What's what's the issue? So if you tolerate bad behavior, if you tolerate people uh, screaming and disrupting and not permitting speakers to, to be heard, if you tolerate confrontations like this where they're engaging in a criminal act, blocking a lawful parade, uh, then and you're agonizing over uh, what to do about it, you shouldn't be surprised that you get more of it. Thank you, Kathy. We appreciate your call. We're uh, running into the uh, 1030 news here in just a moment. Uh, Any uh, final thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to say the perfect example of that is that at the University of Oregon where they they ran the president of the university off the stage. He was about to deliver a state of the university speech. The protesters ran him off the stage, took over the event, shut the whole thing down, and then for some reason, I don't know what happened to the university uh, administration, they decided that some of these kids should be subject to discipline, and the outrage among those being targeted by discipline uh, for the fact that they're being targeted for discipline has been uh, extreme. I mean, and the faculty. And the faculty, faculty. They can't believe that, that they're being held accountable for yes. this, and they think it's a wrong thing. Well, that's what happened. I guess I'm glad that I uh, graduated from someplace other than the schools we're talking about because the governor would have appointed me on the board of trustees here instead of at ISU, and I would have been a problem because I agree with everything you say, and in 10 years on the board of trustees, seven as chairman of the board, I never had any of them. What was that word you used? It uh, starts with a G? Godless. Godless, yeah. I thought that was I mean, I, I think it's fair to point out that we are talking about a, a minority of a minority of a minority of the students on campus. But if you allow them, oh, as I Bob know. I'm said. I'm just saying that they're not all doing that's that. That's the one we're <laughs> reading about, though. That's the Absolutely. ones in the headlines. And I think, unfortunately and regrettably, a majority of the faculty who is in sympathy with this. That could be. We need to uh, stop now at uh, 1030 for the uh, news uh, headlines with uh, Brian Barnhart. Back with our final half hour with our panel after that. Here's Brian. Welcome back to our final uh, half hour with the uh, panel. We're at uh, 356-9397. Our text line is uh, 351-5357. And we go to Eric. Hello, Eric. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Um, I, I apologize in advance. I had kind of asked this question when Jedi was on once before, so I wanted to kind of direct it at the judges. Um, re- regarding the, uh, the the Christensen case that's going on in, in Champaign right now, I just wondered um, your gentleman's take on the fact of uh, when when the federal government appears to have this case down cold as far as all the facts and all that are, are pretty hard to dispute, what advantage is it for Mr. Christensen to draw this all the way off, take it to trial, go to the end of it, instead of, you know, working with him or working on a deal as far as trying to 
respond sooner rather than later, dragging it out? Well, you have to remember first that the Constitution allows the defendant the right first to choose whether he wants a jury trial. And if he wants a jury trial, that's the constitutional right of the defendant, not his attorney. So if the attorney says, oh, we'd like to work out a deal, we'd like to have you cooperate, we'd like to have you do this, if the defendant says, I want my jury trial, he will get the jury trial. The other thing is, uh, to the credit of the federal government in this case and the defense attorneys, uh, this case is not being tried in the press or even being talked about in the press, and it shouldn't be. I know we're all curious about it, but contrast that with the Civ in Washington, D.C., where, by the way, all these leaks about what's going on with Robert Mueller are violations of the law, uh, and somehow CNN and the other news broadcasters don't seem to be bothered by it or mention that. But that's not what should be going on. The reason I mention that is we do not know, and we have no right to know at this point, what sort of discussions might be taking place between the defense and the prosecution. So uh, we can speculate about it, but uh, to say that it's not happening is certainly something that we have no basis to say. Uh, Mike, if uh, they decide to go for the uh, death penalty here, then uh, it appears that this uh, trial will be set back uh, automatically. Automatically. I, automatically. Uh, I had, I think, three times in 16 years of prosecution, the U.S. Attorney's Office asked for the death penalty. The first thing you do as a district judge is appoint an attorney on the issue of the death penalty. I appointed Steve Beckett. Steve would be great if you get him on the next month. Ask him about the process. You go to Washington, D.C., the attorney general appoints because the general, attorney general is the chief prosecutor on these matters, a three-lawyer from the Justice Department panel to hear evidence and argument as to why there should be a death penalty. They make a recommendation to the attorney general, and in every one of my cases, whether it was a Republican or Democrat attorney general, the attorney general said, this isn't a death penalty case. That's it. That's the end of it. And then it comes back. So that's where the delay is. I've seen it at six months to a year before the attorney general makes a decision after the hearings, after the arguments, after the recommendations. So it is a separate procedure in Washington, D.C. It's too long, Jim. Mike has described yeah. it correctly, but uh, there is no reason. And, and it's one of the great embarrassments. I've been now involved in judiciary for going to be starting my 42nd year, and one of the really great embarrassments has been how long death penalty litigation has taken. The people have been on death row for 10 years or 15 years. It's outrageous, and a big part of the reason is judges, and this goes back to the question the caller made, judges who don't like the death penalty are unwilling to apply the law. They're looking for ways to avoid it, and uh, it's not their proper role to do it. And the result is the embarrassment of having this going on decades for someone who's finally coming up for uh, execution. And it looks to the public like this is ridiculous, and they're right. Well, the other side of it is the ridiculousness is when DNA comes in, and then people are exonerated because of the delay that they 
were not there. They did not commit the crime. They might have looked like somebody on an eyewitness, but they weren't there. DNA says you get out of jail now. You were innocent. That's true. That sounds like a good reason for the legislature to uh, abolish the death penalty like it did in Illinois instead of having the judges just not enforce the law. Well, one quick point on this. Uh, Since I was involved in death penalty litigation, the last one was Harry Gozier, who received the death penalty. Uh, I imposed it after the jury uh, found them guilty and uh, said he should receive the death penalty. That was 1988. And... uh, Regarding the people who say, well, there's all this uncertainty about the death penalty. Harry Gozier pleaded guilty, and we had the eyewitness to his committing these crimes. Uh, so the notion that, well, we can't be sure, may have some merit in some cases, but hardly in all, and that's one I'm personally familiar with, which correct. was an outrage. Yep. And that was where George Ryan, our soon-to-be felon governor, decided that uh, maybe uh, I'm going to pardon all of these people, commute all of their sentences, rather, and that was it was outrageous. He was also lived within a block or two of the small family. I was involved in the appeal on the girlfriend who didn't get the death penalty. Death penalty goes to Supreme Court. And so the person who was on death row for killing a personal friend down the street from George Ryan was uh, let go when George Ryan pardoned everybody. So he was somebody who pardoned people he didn't know and yeah, pardoned people. Yeah, that was the, Bill, the, the small kid. Right. Yeah, Harry Gozier yeah. had they been, buried the guy alive. Yeah. Gozier had been 13 years on death row, having pleaded guilty uh, when this uh, commutation occurred from George Ryan. And the question is, why... Why was that? The case had been through the Illinois Supreme Court multiple times, and including through, I like to say, an idiot federal judge who granted a habeas corpus hearing only to have the Seventh Circuit say there was no basis to it. I wound up testifying at that hearing because, gee, uh, you spent an hour and a half taking guilty plea, but was it appropriate, judge? And I looked at him like, what are you talking about? And the Seventh Circuit said there was no basis to even do this, but still, we got 13 years going here, and it was, it was a prime example that I was personally familiar with of a failure of the system to properly handle these cases. 1044, we need to take a quick break. Back to the phones right after that. I forget the name. It was the Latino federal judge. David Corr. We're back on uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. I'm Jim Turpin. We're visiting this morning with uh, a panel. Robert Steigman, Michael McCuskey, and uh, Jim Dye. And we go to Annawald. Hello, Annawald. Good morning. I'm really enjoying the program, and I hate to interrupt it, but I had a young lady who came to me with a question that I could not answer, and that's why I'm calling to take advantage of your intelligentsia. This young woman is upset because she has a daughter who's going to Franklin Junior High School. And this woman wants her daughter to be motivated to get high grades. And she told me that they were not being motivated to get high grades, but just by attending class, they could pass. Now, I just want to know what the uh, your people think about this. How can she... I mean, what is the articulation between the legislature or the lawyers in the schools? What can the parents do about it? 
Well, I, I would think policy comes from the top down, from the principal. Well, let, let me jump in because I, Jim, did your daughter go to Franklin? No. My son graduated from Franklin. Maybe things have changed. When my son, he went to Barkstall, then he went to Franklin. And we thought that the teachers were pushing him just exactly the way they should to make him ultimately college-bound. We were very happy with Franklin. If these things have changed, that's unfortunate. But it wasn't that long ago my son was at Franklin. We were very happy with how he was taught. Good. Yeah, it's one of those things where I, I think that's going to have to come from the parent and try to explain to a kid that, you know, this is, education is important. And But I, I don't envy anybody the, the task of having to try to persuade an eighth grade or ninth <laughs> grade kid of anything. Uh, if they don't necessarily see the point to it and all their friends don't see the point to it, I think that's going to be hard. But, you know, you maybe have to establish some uh, system of uh, carrots and sticks. You know, you do well, uh, you get to do these things. If you don't do well, then maybe it's some sanctions. Uh, apply you know the same thing's true in college it wasn't that long ago that uh, the teachers were not allowed at stanford to give anything but a abc because a df meant that we picked the wrong students so everybody in california knew that if you came out of stanford with a 2.0 you were passed through for non-discipline problems and attendance well, great inflation. That's a whole other scandal. Isn't it? Let's uh, go to a Don. Good morning, Don. Hey, how you gentlemen doing? Good. Morning. What's uh, up? The judge was saying that the, the leaks and stuff were uh, illegal. And I, I just have to say at this point, I tried to find, I'm kind of finding it very hard that any of it is actually illegal enough to the point of prosecution because nobody gets prosecuted for it. For example, Comey you know, said he leaked it so they could get the council started in the first place. You know, he, he, he said that under oath even. And he's still not in jail, not even, I don't think, been charged with anything for it. And you have the lady at the DNC to prove that that was rigged. Nobody's going to jail for any of these crimes. They can prove that, to her, you know, they, they smashed the phones and hard drives and all that. Ain't nobody going to jail for any of those offenses. So I just, you know, I, at this time, I would, you know, kind of, disagree that it's actually that illegal <laughs> well it's it, to say something is illegal is different from talking about how there's an active investigation seeking to prosecute it with regard to the latter there has to be the will to do it let me give you the biggest illegal um, and i do believe it was illegal <clears throat> and leak and it happened right here in champagne balco is on the federal reg- radar so was marion jones Show was so was Armstrong. Tell them, tell them which case. I'm going to give it to them. So all these people are in an indictment, proposed indictment. They're coming to me to give a search warrant for the chemist in Champaign Urbana, who was making the uh, chemical formula for all of these sports enhancements. So I'm reading this. Lots of it are. Uh, deleted because it's irrelevant to my search of is there probable cause. And when I'm done, I said to one of the federal agents from San Francisco, this thing is so big, if somebody leaked it, I would love to be involved in prosecuting and putting that person in jail because this is serious, serious stuff. 
I right. signed. Well, hold on, let me finish, more, please. Yeah, let me finish. This okay. is a good story. Okay. Everybody should hear. Go ahead. I signed the search warrant. I had a meeting in Chicago. Before I even get out of town, the San Francisco Chronicle publishes that the federal judge in Champaign has issued the search warrant. They had to write the article before the government handed it to me. They can leak when it's the government. I confronted the prosecutor, Tim Bass. He said the defense leaked it. The defense, there hadn't even been a charge filed. Anything else, Don? No, I mean, that, that's what I say. I mean, that, I, okay, well, there, there needs to be more of you out there because, I mean, we've got this guy under oath on TV in front of the American people. All right, appreciate the uh, call. We need to take our final break. Uh, coming uh, right back. Well, we only have a uh, couple of um, three or four minutes left. Why don't you guys go ahead with that argument? What was that about? Well, in the situation I had, Bob wondered why I didn't appoint a special prosecutor. And I said, one, Bass is not involved in the prosecution. They're just presenting a search warrant. Two, the guy from the government in California wasn't a U.S. attorney. And three, it's California prop. And unless I wanted to be some activist judge creating something uh, out of whole cloth. I had no authority to do anything. It was up to the government to decide whether there had been misconduct by leaking, and the government said, no, the defense lawyer did it. End of story for me. I don't know federal law. Certainly, I have no way to dispute what Mike says. I'm just going back to my experience as a trial judge uh, in the state, uh, and that is, if the state's attorney's office is engaged in improper conduct, which might be illegal conduct, such as the leaking, which I said is illegal. I think uh, the trial judges in Illinois have the authority to appoint a special prosecutor. You can't look to the local prosecutor's office that might be the uh, uh, have committed the crime to investigate itself, to appoint someone to say, okay, let's get you in front of the grand jury and get you under oath and find out uh, who revealed this information and when and how. And I think uh, uh, one of the problems we have and one of the problems that uh, we have in Washington, D.C. is a lack of accountability. Uh, the press welcomes these leaks, which are illegal. They don't, they don't even mention that they're all legal. And Just good in, reporting. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> and until such time as the people who are involved in the leaks are held accountable or maybe even the pucker moment of being dragged in front of the grand jury to explain uh, what you did and how you did it, uh, I think we're silly to expect that this behavior will change. All right, uh, John, we only have about a minute and a half, but go ahead quickly. Okay, um, change change a little bit. Um, I'm just wondering why in Chicago it takes five years to try somebody for a murder. It shouldn't. You know, it's, it's, it's a problem it's of trial. Years. It's a problem of trial judges who are letting the parties, uh, because you, the defense has mm -hmm. to be complicit in this, uh, letting the parties uh, ask for continuances and not pushing them down. I was a trial judge in Cook County. I in nineteen eighty, I was there subbing for a guy. Case came up on my call. It was a armed robbery case that uh, had been pending for six years. They wanted a continuance. I said, no, we're trying it Wednesday. Guess what happened? <laughs> been, they pled out. It's been five, 
Yeah, it's been five years since my daughter was killed, uh, December 18th. And it's awful. And we still haven't gone to trial. It's awful. No excuse for it. I yeah. agree. Yeah, thank you, thank John. You. I appreciate your call, mm-hmm. and uh, we uh, sympathize with you. Uh, that's a, a terrible thing to have happen. Appreciate it. Thanks. And, uh, uh, Mike, uh, thanks for coming down. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, apparently this will be my last event with you, Jim. It's been a pleasure and an honor to have you allow me to be on your show. And uh, Robert Stegman, uh, thank you for being here. Oh, Jim Dye, same. You're certainly welcome. Great, great day. Apparently, yeah, nice a trip you made in here this morning. <laughs> he was on time. Well, you time to go, I'm going to have to go take a nap after that long walk. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be like that judge and who was sleeping in the courtroom. We are joining the uh, CBS News in uh, progress. I'll see you tomorrow morning with a two-hour open line at uh, 9 o'clock here on Penny.